This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Episode number 93 of Unfermetable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is unfermetable. So old-timers day is upon us, something I always had mixed feelings about as a kid. Um, I mean, the Mets were so young then, and it just seemed like a Yankee thing. Uh, Back then, I didn't have qualms about the Copying the Yankees or the little brother thing, to me the Mets were young and exciting, especially when we started getting good again in the 80s, and the Yankees were old and stodgy. But of course now I'm older, and the franchise is older, and the Cohen era has seen the team embrace its history, and I mean this podcast is kind of about embracing that ever quirky history. So I kind of wanted to celebrate the old-timers day and pick someone attending Old Timers Day, and full disclosure, this was going to be a Terry Leach podcast, as I thought he embodied everything I was thinking of, his quirky delivery, his uh, non-glamorous baseball history, uh, whereas a lot of the players at Old Timers Day are, of course, real stars. Um, But I remembered when I started researching it that Terry Leach wrote a memoir that I read at least 20 years ago and loved. And I I think I want to dig it up and reread it before indulging in a Terry Leach pod. Um, Other players who I thought were kind of obscure or, or, you know, less popular but would make me too angry for what I'd like to be a positive podcast or showing up at Old Timers Day like Steve Traxel and Doug Sisk. So thought I'd keep it positive and look back at a solid and feisty player who was very good and acknowledged for being good in the time and made four all-star teams, but unfortunately toiled for some terrible Met teams, although he did get reintroduced to a new generation of Met fans when he was mic'd up for the playoffs as a coach, um, an intense and athletic catcher, and one appropriately nicknamed Bad Dude, the one and only John Stearns. So without further ado, John Harden Stearns was born August 21st, 1951, which means if you're attending Mets Old Timers Day in 2022, he had a recent birthday within a week. Uh, If you see him on the field, why not wish him a happy 71st birthday? John Stearns was born in Denver and grew up in Colorado uh, in a very sporting family, Uh, most notably his older brother Bill was also a pro baseball player. He was drafted, I think, two years after John, or maybe two years before. I'm sorry, yeah, two years before John. He was in the Yankees organization from 71 to 77, made it as high as AAA, and coached and managed in the minors. Um, the Bill and John had a younger brother, Rick, who was a linebacker for the Colorado Buffaloes at college, 
and their younger sister Carla was a star softball catcher at the University of Northern Colorado. John was a true two-sport star, uh, also played basketball, I believe, in high school, um, but he was an all-league shortstop at high school in Denver. Uh, he got moved to catcher when his high school team's catcher got injured. According to an interview Stearns gave way back, his coach told him, quote, it's got to be you, John. You're the best athlete on the team, which frankly seemed like specious logic, given what I thought my knowledge was of what made for catchers or who was put at catcher. Uh, but nevertheless, it certainly worked out for John. And in fact, it was Stearns's incredible athleticism and great speed for a catcher, as well as an attitude that was fostered from his love of his other sport that he starred in, football, that really made him a standout figure uh, and was what he was known for more than anything in his Major League Baseball career. That career could have started a lot earlier as he was drafted by the Oakland A's in the 13th round of the 69 Major League Baseball amateur draft, uh, but Stearns didn't sign, choosing to attend his local University of Colorado, where he starred in baseball and football for the Buffaloes. The catcher for the Colorado baseball team, Stern led the NCAA with 15 home runs during his senior year as a catcher, of course. Uh, he also played safety and punter for the CU uh, football team, and at least as of 2017, uh, when articles I read about him most recent articles I read about him were written. His 16 career interceptions remained Colorado's team record uh, as of 2017. Stearns was good enough to get drafted as a defensive back in the 17th round, uh, which was, I did look it up, was the final round back then of the 1973 NFL draft. My friends and I like to go out and watch the draft and have a few drinks. Dear God, I can only imagine if we had to sit through 17 rounds of drinking. Uh, so the Bills drafted in the 17th round of the 73 draft, uh, but the Philadelphia Phillies uh, made him the much more appealing second overall pick in the 1973 Major League draft. Uh, pitcher David Clyde uh, went number one overall. Clyde had an interesting and said uh, he was billed as the next Sandy Koufax and uh, was put right in the majors, I think, uh, out of the draft and was out of baseball by 24 uh, with arm problems and I think is still looked at back at today as one of the, you know, early cases of mishandling a pitcher or, you know, the need to be a little more cautious with young pitching arms. At any rate, just shows the vagaries and the slight crapshoot nature, although it does seem to be a bit better these days, uh, of the MLB draft. Uh, Stern, interesting quirks in the 73 draft abounded. Uh, the two picks after Stearns, uh, Robin Yount and Dave Winfield, uh, immediately after him, picked third and fourth by the Brewers and the Padres, would go on to Hall of Fame careers, uh, whereas Clyde flamed out, picks five and nine uh, in that draft would never appear in the majors, uh, where Stearns had a productive nearly 20 B-war career, uh, so couldn't exactly call him a draft bust although uh, it's got to hurt that the two picks after him were Hall of Famers. The Mets did pretty well for themselves in that draft, picking local product Lee Mazzilli, 14th overall. Um, the Yankees had the 13th pick that year. Uh, obviously, I read a lot about the 73 draft, um, but I thought it was odd because they passed on the Brooklynite for pitcher Doug Heinhold, who, as far as I could see, never made the majors. Uh, Stearns 
final draft quirk was actually drafted before Winfield in both baseball and football. Winfield was also taken in the 17th round by his hometown Vikings as a tight end, six picks after the Bills drafted Stearns. Stearns signed with the Phillies. He was aggressively posted to AA after the 73 draft, where he initially struggled. Uh, So they started him in 1974 in high A, uh, where he was clearly uh, outclassing the league. He hit 344 with 41 walks and 14 strikeouts in a little less than half a year, so the Phillies decided to jump him straight to AAA, where he was uh, strong enough uh, with the bat, and he was always considered a very good defensive catcher, which uh, numbers, uh, statistical uh, evaluations would back up. Uh, he was named an International League All-Star, uh, in 1974, along with his future contemporary, Gary Carter. In fact, Stearns was so good in the minors in 1974 that he would be a September call-up and at the age of 22, sadly, make his MLB debut. Well, probably not sadly for him, but uh, sadly for us Met fans, as Stearns would finish two at-bats shy of being a lifelong Met. Uh, on September 22nd of 1974, uh, Bob Boone started both games of a doubleheader for the Phillies at catcher, uh, something they just did those days. Um, in game two of the doubleheader, though, the Expos jumped out to a 7 nothing lead, and so I guess the Phillies decided to get Boone some rest. Stern made his major league debut as a pinch hitter against Mike Torres, uh, singling the other way in his first major league at bat at Jerry Park in Montreal. Stearns was pinch-hitting for Phillies pitcher Tom Underwood, who had come on in relief of Max Scarce, who, uh, not a spoiler alert if you listen to the pod regularly, would join Stearns in a trade to the Mets in the 1974 offseason. Stearns would stay in the game, uh, finish out at catcher, and reach on an error in his second and final at-bat as a Philly. Uh, He wouldn't get any more playing time in a Phillies uniform, Boone was 26, uh, had come in third in the Rookie of the Year balloting in 73, and was pretty entrenched at catcher, uh, so they drafted him second overall, but the Phillies deemed Stearns expendable enough. They did not want to keep two young catchers on the roster, uh, so in the offseason, two teams looking to shake things up a bit. On December 5th of 74, the Phillies traded Stearns and the aforementioned Max Scarce, and Dell Unser to the New York Mets for Don Hahn, Dave Schneck, and perhaps a bit more fatefully, as far as Mets fans would be concerned, Tug McGraw. McGraw was, of course, a key piece of the Mets uh, rotation, uh, Mets bullpen, uh, Mets pitching roster uh, from their 69 miracle season through the 73, you gotta believe, season, uh, but did have a very disappointing 74 season. Uh, so both teams, and so did the Mets, you know, and the Mets were, well, not world beaters, obviously, uh, made the, won the World Series in 69, made it in 73, uh, and were generally above 500 or hoping to contend all of those years. Uh, 74 was a disappointing season. Uh, both teams tried to shake things up. But while the Mets would remain, you know, a decent above 500 team for two more years in 75 and 76, uh, unfortunately for Stearns, these were franchises at the time going in different directions. By 76, the Mets would have their last winning record until 1984, which I believe coincidentally would be Stearns' last year with the team, uh, and one beset by injuries. 
uh, while the Phillies would, by 76, be the National League East champions and uh, building a roster that would eventually culminate in a world championship in 1980, a team of which McGraw was still a pretty big factor. So the bad dude, as he was dubbed by a reporter, uh, I think in college in the 70s, and carried over into his major league career, or sometimes just the dude, long before uh, Jeff, uh, the, the Big Lebowski just ran away with that nickname, would have a very strong and solid career, but he would do it toiling for some pretty bad teams, as mentioned before. Stearns would still be would be backing up Grody in 75 and 76 and kind of learning from the veteran. He would launch his first major league home run in on April 30th of 1975 against the Cubs in Wrigley Field against Ray Burris. And perhaps more notably, since uh, he was more known in a way for his speed as a catcher and totaled many more stolen bases and home runs in his career, Got his first career stolen base uh, with the Mets in June 8th of 1975 against the Atlanta Braves. But Stearns would appear at only a handful of games each year uh, in 75 at the age of 23, 59 games, uh, and he struggled hitting 189, uh, but in 76... Uh, Stearns, while appearing in only 32 games, uh, would hit a more robust 262-364 on-base percentage. Grody was turning 34 before the 77 season, while Stern was 25. Though the venerable Grody was traded during the season to the Dodgers, I believe. Uh, Grody actually lasting till the August 31st, the old Weaver trade deadline. Uh, going out a little after his former battery battery mate Seaver uh, in the June 15th Midnight Massacre. But while the Mets were bottoming out and hemorrhaging fans, uh, Stearns was establishing himself as an all-star. He would be an all-star in the 77 season at the age of 25. uh, would appear in 139 games, uh, 12 homers, 55 RBIs, 9 stolen bases, 77 walks, 76 strikeouts, uh, pretty impressive all-around play from Stearns. Uh, he first kind of full season uh, was good for 3.4 war, according to baseball reference, 2.9 on the offensive side, 1.3 defensive. The Mets would have, again, be entering into this terrible period, and you know, I, I know Stearns was a four-time All-Star and often thought, well, maybe that's just because the Mets had to have an All-Star, but Uh, A couple of these were obviously very deserving seasons. In fact, his following year, um, 1978, would statistically be his best season, Uh, and interestingly, it would be the only year between 77 and 80 that Stearns did not make the All-Star team, as he got off to a pretty slow start in 78 before uh, just closing with an amazing flourish. But as I said at the outset, if there were three things Stearns was known for, it was uh, his unusual speed and stolen base acumen for a catcher was his toughness, which was displayed at many a home plate collision when that was a thing, and a couple of uh, incidents and brawls with opposing players and opposing mascots, uh, and extending into his post-playing career as a coach uh, when he was mic'd up as a player. And I think those would probably be the most entertaining and appropriate ways to really appreciate John Stearns. 
On September 7th, 1978, the 55 and 85 New York Mets uh, were at Stade Olympique in Montreal to take on the 67 and 73 Expos. The Mets would win the game 9 to 3, jumping at scoring 9 runs in the first 3 innings of the game, but most notably after hitting into a force out in the top of the first against uh, Bob James, which knocked in a run. Uh, Stearns would steal second off of James and Expos catcher Gary Carter. Perhaps a nice little touch for Stearns uh, against one of his contemporaries and noted better, uh, you know, more of an all-star player. The stolen base would be Stearns' 25th of the year, which would set a new National League record. Uh, breaking a record that stood since 1902 when Johnny Kling had swiped 24 bases catching for the Cubs uh, that season. Now, 1979 was like my first year really collecting baseball cards and really being into baseball. And I do remember the tops, they used to have those record breaker cards, and one of them honored Stearns for that uh, new National League record for stolen bases by a catcher with his 25. Against 13 caught stealings, by the way, so maybe, you know, well, they didn't care about the percentage as much back then. But I remember cherishing that card. The Mets were not good, but the fact that a Met was on a record-breaker card for young me was incredibly exciting. And I did like those record-breaker cards. They were pretty cool. But as a catcher, uh, tiring, uh, though he had a number of games left in the season, a good 20, that was Stearns' last stolen base of the year. So, though young... Perhaps he was limping to the finish line, which would be understandable since the 26-year-old caught 143 game or appeared in 143 games that year, 563 plate appearances, 134 of them were starts, and 127 of them he caught complete games. Uh, so, a lot of work with the tools of ignorance on. Stern 78 was good for a 5.3 war, according to Baseball Reference, which was his highest career mark, though he would uh, you know, be a positive player, basically, his whole entire career, uh, greater than one war every season until 83 and 84, when he just played virtually no time because of injuries. Which leads us to point two, it was no surprise that Stearns would ultimately be beset by injuries because he played the game hard, football player level hard. The dude, or the bad dude's physical intensity and physical play, uh, you know, much like uh, the defensive back he once was, uh, was renowned by opponents and definitely made him a fan favorite uh, for te- fans of a team that needed any kind of bright spot. A couple of notable on-field incidents. Uh, the Mets uh, defeated the Pirates on June 30th of 1978, 6-5. to uh, The final out of the game was uh, a collision at home plate where D- Dave Parker tried to plow over Stearns, who kept his mask on and held on to the ball, uh, though he went flying in the collision. Uh, Parker suffered a broken cheekbone on the play, and uh, I do remember that vaguely. He he wore one of those kind of, I think, Ellis Valentine-y kind of masks uh, the rest of the season. Uh, he had to wear a mask that looked, you know, like a hybrid, like hockey goalie football helmet, um, although he did go on to win the MVP that year, so it didn't hurt him as much as you would think. Well, hurt him metaphorically. Uh, I'm sure it broken cheekbone certainly hurts. Early in the 79 season, uh, 
On April 11th, uh, Stearns triggered a basis-clearing brawl um, against the Expos, this time in a collision at home plate between himself and Carter, uh, where Stearns tagged Carter out but felt Carter had elbowed him unnecessarily. Uh, the two catchers started trading punches. Uh, the bench is cleared. Both players were ejected. Uh, it takes an intense and special dude, I think, to rile up and get the kid, Gary Carter, kicked out of a baseball game. But Stearns was perhaps known most of all for his feistiness and quote-unquote brawling with not a professional player, uh, but rather a mascot. Stearns very famously, apparently not once but twice, according to uh, what I've read, uh, ran out onto the field and tackled Chief Nakahoma, the Braves, old, ill-fated, and yes, as you can imagine by that name, about as racist as the tomahawk chop mascot. It's like trying to piece together a bad and not very important baseball mystery, but uh, I'm just looking, trying to look this incident up, and Jay Horowitz could have sworn it took place in 1984, uh, which didn't seem like it checked out, because Stearns was barely with the team, and I really feel like I would have remembered it. Whereas another old Mets website I found uh, believes that there, there are incidents both in 1975 and 1981 based on old Daily News clippings, uh, where... Uh, in both times, it was cited that Stearns ran out of the dugout and interrupted the mascot's ritual dance by tackling him. Uh, the, the Daily News article in the one does, in fact, call him the dude. Uh, said he had his ritual interrupted last night when John Stearns raced out of the Mets dugout and tackled him. The dude was all Big 8 linebacker at the U of Colorado in his college days. While not remembering exactly when it took place, uh, when asked about it, in 2010, Stern said, I just remember watching him for three or four years and thinking to myself, someday I'm going to clothesline this guy. One day I took off, running at him like a defensive back, and I just kind of dragged him down. I thought it was a fun thing, but Joe Torre was our manager and he didn't like it. Uh, although Torre later said, it was just the dude being the dude. Stearns could even turn that on a... Uh, uh, on fans, uh, Stearns once tackled two drunken fans who uh, ran onto the field at Shea and held them down until the police arrived to escort them off the field. And Stearns also got ejected from a game once uh, defending teammate Mike Jorgensen, who got thrown at uh, in a game by Bill Gullickson in 1980. Uh, Jorgensen had been hurt badly by a beanball back in the day, uh, so Stearns took more umbrage perhaps than than uh, Jorgensen did, charging the dugout and starting a fight with the exposed pitcher. On the field, Stern continued his solid play uh, in 79. Uh, he was an all-star for the second time. Uh, nine homers, 66 RBIs. Couldn't quite match that stolen base record, but got 15 more stolen bases. Then he kind of became a different uh, player in 1980. He did not hit for as much power, zero home runs, 45 RBIs, uh, but hit a robust 285, well over 300 in the first half, making his third All-Star team. He struggled early with injuries in 81. Um, his numbers were uh, down by his standards, so he was starting to hit better uh, when the baseball strike hit in June and July, wiping out half of the season. Or his 82 looked like a bounce-back season, 
Um, he hit over 300 in the first half, uh, was picked to his fourth All-Star game, becoming actually the first Mets position player to earn four All-Star selections. Uh, but he would soon start battling elbow tendonitis in August and wind up missing the end of the year. And at age 30, it was effectively the beginning of the end for Stearns uh, after the 82 season. Though the dedicated and intense uh, player who loved playing and loved to give his all wanted desperately to come back, uh, he would be on the Mets org in 83 and 84, uh, appearing in only 12 total games, four games in 83, eight in 1984, Mostly arm trouble, elbow, shoulder type things, but he, yeah, like he missed all of 1984, but he did come up late in the year in September, just a testimony to his dedication that he uh, fought all year just to come back, Uh, and in fact, in the Mets' last game of the season, uh, in which they would lose to the Expos at Stade Olympique, a lot of Expos in John Stern's career, uh, he would go one for four uh, with an RBI single off of Gullickson, uh, his former uh, brawling opponent, driving in Mookie Wilson in what would be his final major league at bat. He came in on a team featuring Tom Seaver, and in his last year, he was in the same lineup as Daryl Strawberry and Keith Hernandez as uh, and Mookie Wilson uh, in a game pitched by Jesse Orozco. Just unfortunately spanned eras where the Mets were exciting and relevant Uh, but he certainly provided excitement and relevance when there was little to be found at Shea. Stearns would uh, continue to try to fight to play, but he'd never make it to the majors again. He spent time in the Winter Leagues and in the Reds and Rangers minor league organizations before officially uh, hanging it up after the 1986 season. From there, he would jump pretty much right into coaching, um, spending a lot of time in various baseball organizations, and various roles, a scout for the Brewers, uh, catching instructor for the Astros, bullpen coach for the Yankees, uh, even did some work as an analyst for ESPN. Uh, he eventually went into minor league managing, uh, first base coach with the Baltimore Orioles until 1997, uh, before finally coming home to the Mets. Stearns was on Bobby Valentine's staff for a couple of years, uh, most notably in 2000. Uh, because he had something of a broadcasting background. Uh, Stearns was um, tagged to wear a microphone during the playoffs. And he introduced himself to a whole new generation of Met fans um, in the 2000 playoffs. Uh, Mike Piazza, of course, struggled a bit down the stretch in 2000, uh, perhaps costing himself a potential MVP award. Actually, maybe I'm thinking of 99. Maybe it was both 99 and 2000. Uh, I mean, catching's hard work, as John Stearns could tell you. But uh, Piazza struggled a bit down the stretch and struggled a lot in the first-round playoff series against the Giants in 2000. The Mets survived the series, but, you know, of course, there was a lot of talk and worry about how far they could go without their best hitter hitting. Uh, So early in the first inning of Game 1 of the NLCS against the Cardinals, when Piazza ripped a run-scoring double, uh, Stearns was very famously heard shouting, the monster's out of the cage, the monster's out of the cage, on national broadcast, which became a popular mantra uh, for basically the rest of the playoffs there. And frankly, while I remember Stearns playing, if when his name comes up, it's probably the first thing I think of now. 
He was in the Mitzorg until 2004 uh, as a coach and then as a minor league manager. Uh, then he moved to the Nationals org, managing in the minors there. Um, finally, at the Mariners organization, catching coordinator and uh, scout, among other things. I don't know if he had dreams or aspirations of being a major league manager, but uh, unfortunately never got, a, got the call as a major league manager. He had some health problems after the 2015 season, which he recovered from, but it caused him to step down uh, from the Mariners organization, and he's been out of baseball since. But we'll make a glorious return to Flushing, Queens this weekend at the New York Mets Old Timers Day. For his career, Stearns hit 260 with a 341 on-base percentage, 375 slugging, 715 OPS, an above average 102 OPS plus, uh, 46 home runs, 91 stolen bases, 25 of them in a then record-setting year in 1978. I do believe Jason Kendall, that spoil sport, has since uh, passed Stern's NL record for stolen bases by a catcher. Perhaps too good for this podcast, but we needed some good old-timers day relevance and for setting records, for playing with incredible passion, and coaching with incredible passion, and for being a bright light in what was a dark time in the franchise's history, John Stearns, truly unformidable. Thank you for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on all the social medias, and you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.